Welcome to another episode of the In The Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In The Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to HealthWise 360 with Christy Cordingly. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of HealthWise 360, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In The Limelight Media. I'm your show host, Christy Cordingly, and you'll be able to see this interview on In The Limelight TV, which is distributed on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and a hundred other smart TV apps. The audio version of this interview can be heard wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, I'm thrilled to be interviewing the author of the award-winning best-selling book, An Impossible Life, uh, Sonia Wasden. As a suicide survivor, Sonia is a passionate mental health advocate that travels the country sharing her personal story of message uh, and hope. And thank you so much for joining me today, Sonia. Thank you. So uh, let's get right into it. You mentioned in the book that on the surface, you appeared to be living the ideal life, you know, the successful husband, the beautiful home, your children being involved greatly in your community, lots for charity. You had anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, and OCD. And you said that you kept that hidden for 20 years. Why did you feel you had to keep your illness uh, hidden? And were you aware yourself of how serious your condition was during that time? Um, I feel like that um, stigma kept me silent, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I felt somehow it was me. I was broken that, you know, and I had shame around it. And as you know, nobody wants to belong to a group called crazy, (laughs) you know? And so it's very difficult and you don't want to appear broken, not capable, you know, not being able to, um, do things. People just tend to look at you differently. And yes, stigma has gotten a lot better, but we have a long ways to go, but I would feel like that I didn't want to be judged. And so it was the stigma from the outside, not wanting to be judged from people. And also me feeling like, no, if I was stronger, if I was stronger then I could deal with this. And so, you know, it's very complex reasons, but yeah, it was, I I felt completely, um, isolated alone and just kind of hid and my pain and everything. And we did, we pretended we had a beautiful, perfect family and people believed it. Were you aware of the depth of the seriousness of your condition when you were hiding it? No. And let me tell you why. So I was admitted involuntarily to the psychiatric hospital by my husband and father. And I think we all tell our stories that we can live with. Right. So as the years went on, I told myself this little delusional story that made me feel better that everybody wanted to die, that life was hell for everyone. So it got to a point that I got so sick that they admitted me um, to the psychiatric hospital and how they do that. They take you to the ER. And when I met to the crisis worker, I thought, oh, she's just going to see I'm stressed and they're going to release me. Mm. When she asked me how many times I thought about a suicide um, or taking my life, I said, oh, just the average amount, just like you, (laughs) you know, I really believed everybody wanted to be dead. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I didn't understand, fully understand the depth of my mental illness. And how did that experience shape you? Like that must've been very complex. Like what, what prompted them 
your own father and your husband to say, Sonia, we need to go to the hospital. And then looking back on that now, how has that shaped your experience, your relationships, how your treatment went, sort of everything from there? How did that become a catalyst for you? Well, I mean, you know, I got very angry. Yeah. Um, of course, because I didn't want to. The psychiatric hospital is a very difficult place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where I got my diagnosis. It's where they started me on medicine. And I still fought it for many years. And um, it, you know, was very difficult. And what one of the most difficult things about it was is bipolar runs in my family. And my dad, five years later, got sick himself and stopped taking his medications and seeing his doctors. And I had to, uh, I had to admit him to the psychiatric hospital against his will. Mm -hmm. So, right. A lot of irony came back to where I had to do that from him to him. And he did end up dying from suicide. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a real thing that we've got to take seriously. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talk about your being a suicide survivor. Can you share a little bit about that moment in your life? Like, was there a specific moment where you made that attempt and, and how you made the decision to become a survivor? Yeah. Well, um, six years after my dad had died from suicide, um, I wasn't dealing well with the grieving process with my mental illness. I wasn't really getting or seeking the proper care that I really needed. I was kind of fighting it, which a lot of times people with mental health do. do. And I, it was at night I'd gotten a fight with my son. I went into my bathroom quietly, picked up my pill bottles and swallowed hundreds of antipsychotic pills and attempt to take my life. Mm -hmm. All the pain silenced all the love I felt for my children my friends, my family, I really believed they'd be better off without me. I felt like my life had no purpose. There was nothing for me to give here. And I just felt nothing. I was nothing broken and it wouldn't get fixed. Luckily, my husband found me in time. I was taken to the ER and the ER doctors did think my life was worth saving at a time I did not. I ended up in the I see you waking up five days later and my husband was CEO of the hospital where they took me to and a leading psychiatrist there told him to never bring me back to that hospital again, to take me to a hospital where no one knew me. And as I sat in the ICU in my hospital gown, a fire was lit within me. And I thought I'm done hiding. If I had had a heart attack, would the doctor say that if I had a stroke, If I had diabetes, if I had some other physical illness that brought me to the hospital, to the ICU, would the doctors tell, well, your CEO of the hospital, take her somewhere where you don't know, where they don't know you. (laughs) And that really was the changing point for me that I started to become a suicide survivor and decided I am no longer going to be silent. I am no longer going to hide, but I'm going to join the growing choir of mental health advocacy. Absolutely. I completely agree. Mental illness runs in my family. It's something I'm afflicted with as well. And um, this isn't about me. This is about you. But it's always been interesting to me. And this is exactly what you said, how there is very little shame or stigma if a different organ is broken, your heart, your lungs, your liver. There's so much. There's flowers. There's cakes. There's people all over. There's cars that come in the mail and everybody's calling to see how you are. 
Um, but the brain, which is its own organ and it's an actual illness. And, and for some reason we think it's self-inflicted or we treat people like it's self-inflicted uh, or simply that it's just mind over matter. And you struggle, you know, not, I, you mentioned at the beginning too, that you struggled with, if I, I can do this, you know, I, I just have to get right. stronger, right? I, I must be the problem. I have a weak mind. And that's clearly, clearly not true. So how do we all keep working together to end the stigma around mental health? Um, first, I want to say, I appreciate your words because what you said is so true because of the stigma, it makes people who have mental health challenges believe into them, right? Mm -hmm. It's, oh, if I, I could do something, if I could just be stronger instead of them also promoting, Hey, like you said, your brain physical, heart, physical. So we have a brain illness. And so it's physical, you know, a lot of times we say, Oh, it's, you know, it's a mental illness, physical illness. It's, it's our body. It's, it's physical. Um, I think the greatest thing I tell people is to start with your friends, your community, and your coworkers speak up about your own personal mental health journey. Even if that's like, man, I was feeling some anxiety today, or <laughs> I'm seeing a therapist or somebody saying, Hey, you don't seem like yourself, you know, do you need to talk? Or if you see somebody struggling, instead of them saying, go get help, say, do you need me to call a doctor and help you get help? Do you need me to drive you to the doctors? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get so in a dark place, you are not able to help yourself. So having a friend say, Hey, I'll do the research. I'll make the appointment. Let me get your insurance card. I'll drive you to the appointment here. Let me help you. And so I think as we join as a community to talk about this and suicides, as long as suicide kills conversations, it's going to continue to kill people. Uh -oh. We've got to openly talk about suicide. We've got to openly talk about anxiety, depression, manic episodes, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder. We need to talk about these mental health challenges openly. And the more that people open up and are vulnerable, then other people trust and feel they can be vulnerable. It's that vulnerability piece. I mean, when someone commits suicide, the first thing people say is, wow, I had no idea. And I right. think it's because people that truly are at that breaking point, they, they're so good at masking. They're so strong at putting on the facade that they've got it together because they, they truly don't feel safe or feel like there's anything worth opening up about anymore. And I always now make it a point myself, and we'll talk about this as well. You know, I have strong friends in my life and there are people that recognize me as strong and I'm sure there's people that recognize you as strong. And when we go quiet, sometimes people are like, oh, they're fine. But I have friends now that know, like, check on the strong friends because mm -hmm. if they're quiet, something's really wrong, right? Do you find that? Like, what are, what, are, yeah. what are some things people can look for if they think or they're worried, or maybe that people don't think of looking for if someone could potentially be struggling with mental illness? Like, what are some of the signs that we should look for and, and start communicating with them? Yeah, I think a lot what you said is true. If you see people going quiet, isolating themselves, making excuses, you know, oh yeah, I, I can't 
go out or, oh, I'm just not feeling well, like starting to back away from social events, back away from friendships. Now, yeah, there are introverts. So I'm saying to their typical personality, Mm -hmm. what their personality rhythm is. If you're a friend with them, you kind of get to know that personality's rhythm. If that rhythm starts their behavior, their eating, their sleeping, job problems, not socializing, isolating. Like when you said your friends know if you go quiet, or, you know, the, okay, check in on the strong, quiet ones. So I think, you know, the more that you know someone and when you start to see things is when you go, okay, I probably should check in on them. I probably should, you know, say, Hey, I care about you. I'm here for you. You know, is there anything I can do? You know, do you need, I I can sit here and listen, you know, give them a hug, send them some flowers, say, I love you. You're important. So I think, um, I I think mostly when people are struggling, you start noticing, you know, they put up or even put up walls, right? When you said the faking, all of a sudden you're like, wait, I didn't notice they seem fine. If someone starts to seem (laughs) too fine, right? Like everything's perfect. And they weren't normally like that, then I would be like, start to be concerned too. If all of a sudden they start to seem like everything is amazing and they're just like controlled and holding things like in a controlling way, that's a warning sign too. You know, it's not always the people just hanging out in bed. They may be very working, but if you see them kind of putting on this facade that seems a little bit off, there's something there. Absolutely. Those are really great, great tips. And just because I have experienced some of these and I'm sure you have too, what are some of the things that we probably should not be saying to people that maybe are struggling with mental illness? We talk about, there's a phrase that I love called toxic positivity, right? Again, we talked about that mind over matter, those statements about, you know, focus on your blessings. Like what, what are some things that are actually people think are helpful, but are actually kind of hurtful to people with mental illness? Well, you said a couple right there, mind over matter, pull up your bootstraps, you you know, Um, so what I would say is that I think the most important, a couple things here is if you don't know what to say, authenticity is best. If you Mm -hmm. say to them, I don't know what to say, but I care. Do you understand? After my dad died from suicide, listen, if you don't know how to talk about suicide or you don't know how to approach someone who's mental health challenges, but you want to help just say, I don't know what to say, but I care. I care. I care. Another thing that I don't like personally, when I say I have the bipolar anxiety, OCD, they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to be pitied. Mm -mm. Instead, I would rather have someone look at me and say, wow, you are courageous. You are brave. You know, what an inspiration. And if somebody is going through a depression, you know, say, wow, you are super courageous to go through this. And I know you're going to come out stronger. Give them hope in a positive way, not mind over matter. Say, I know you can come out stronger. You, you, do you see what I'm saying? Or you, you've got this and we're here. We're, you know, we're your team. You know, we're going to stand by you like that. You know, somebody's struggling. I'm going to stand by you. Or what can I do yes. that would be helpful? Instead of just doing something, because everybody likes different things. Say, hey, what could I do? to help you right now. If you could give me a few suggestions, I'd really appreciate it. Cause I want to support you. I care about you. I love you. So I think that, you know, not in a, 
Ooh, oh, you know, like this gloomy, <laughs> you know, oh, how horrible. <laughs> and you're courageous, you're brave, you're going to come out stronger, you're going to learn things. Mental health struggles are part of life's journey. We're here for you. We're a team. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I care about you. Is there, can you give me a few things I could do to, you know, be a support? Things mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you have three children, and obviously they were in your life as you were going through your struggles, your suicide, the suicide, or sorry, your your attempted suicide, the suicide of your father, you know, the hospital experiences. One I co-wrote your memoir with you, which I think is really exciting. That must have been very cathartic. One you said had to move away when they were 16. And, you know, what was it like for them to have a mom that was struggling with mental health? What was it like for you as a mom struggling with mental health and how you felt as a parent? And how are you all doing together as a family today? Where's that journey come to? So I don't want to get emotional, but uh, no, it's okay to be emotional. That's um, an emotional topic. Yeah. Um, you know, those are my children. They're my babies. And yeah, um, I did cause them some trauma and I own that. Um, we have all been in therapy. Um, and what I would say is this difficult challenges can bond you mm-hmm. And we call ourselves a little tribe and we are super close and we are super strong. It hurt. It's hard, but we have been in that foxhole together and we have come out stronger and we are always going to be there for each other. But to say that my heart doesn't break. If you read some of my book of what my children went through, it's still today. Yes. I wish it could have been different and I have had some of my children say, mom, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to have a mentally ill mom because I'm more compassionate towards other people. I'm more understanding. I'm less judgmental of people. I feel like I understand people who are struggling or trying to find their way. And they are, they are tremendously compassionate, non-judgmenting, embracing everybody type of people. So I'm really, really proud of who they have become. But yes, we've all been in therapy with my son. I've been in therapy, my daughter, my other son, (laughs) all working out the relationships. So yeah, very painful, very hard. And, um, you know, many of them are still in therapy today. They're doing well, they're married, they have jobs, they're happy, but the therapy continues. So yes, that's where we're at. I think, um, you know, they always say it's not how you react to life. It's how you respond. And it sounds like the response that you've had as a family has been extremely healthy. And I think you've set a great example of how to go through something rather than avoid it or let it take over. I think you've taught them some beautiful life lessons and your children are stronger because of it. Is it ideal? No, but I think it's done wonderful. I mean, look at the love and compassion they spread, just as you mentioned, that's such a gift that they're now giving to other people. So you should be very proud of yourself and give yourself a little grace because you're a great mama. 
Thank you. Now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> so <laughs> now these low moments, obviously, uh, I mean, they're tremendous, right? I mean, this is a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of trauma. How did you take, how did you go from that and all that pain and suffering with you and your family and become the hero of the story and help them become the heroes of their own stories in order to be the champions that you are for mental health. I mean, you're well recognized. I mean, you have accolades. Your book is a bestseller. You have put, you basically put your soul inside a book and let the whole world read it. You even had Oprah participate in one of your book clubs, not name dropping, but, but how did you go from that to this? How did you create this, incredible message out of something that was so incredibly painful. and mental. You know, the one thing I would say to anybody out there struggling that, um, let me be clear for 20 years, I hid my mental health challenges for 20 years. I spent, uh, hundreds, thousands of days in bed doing nothing. I, I gained over hundred. I almost weighed 250 pounds. I was emotional eating. I wasn't changing my clothes. I wasn't showering. I was self-harming. And, um, what I want people to know is you're stronger than you think you are. And that I have been able to completely turn my life around. Like you said, I speak to fortune 500 company. I have a job. People <laughs> actually pay me. You know what I mean? Who would have ever thought, right? No, but I speak to fortune 500 companies on mental wellness in the workplace. They pay me. I go to prisons. I go to firefighters, homeless shelters as my advocacy for free and speak. You know, I published op-eds and Washington Post. I was interviewed on CBS this morning, many local TVs. So what I would say to people is you don't need to do that to be a mental health advocate. That's how my life has unfolded. But what the message I have for you is this, you're stronger than you think you are, and you can have a life worth living, whatever that looks like for you. Because if I can do it, anyone can do it. Let me tell you, no one in my family thought I could hold down a job. And the first job I got after I got out of the hospital, um, after my suicide, I worked at white house, black market, Mm -hmm. everybody thought I was going to get fired or I wasn't going to show up. So let me tell you this. If nobody around you believes in you believe in yourself a little more, Mm -hmm. if I could go back, I would say, Sonia, have a little more belief, have a little bit more faith in what the word you use show yourself a little more grace. Mm -hmm. And I think really those are the keys that got me to where I am. And yes, it's hard work. And yes, you have failures and door slam, but you just persist. So anyone who's out there struggling with mental health challenges and you're not living the life worth living or what you want, you can do it. I promise you, (laughs) if I could do it, you could do it for whatever that looks like for you. And it's a journey. So just have a little more faith, a little more courage and a little more grace and you'll get there. I love that. And I love that in today's world, sometimes there's a message that we need to beat ourselves up and beat ourselves harder to get results. But the opposite is true, right? You loved yourself back to health. You loved yourself back to success. It's that compassion that really grows our ability and aptitude to, to create great things out of our obstacles. So very inspiring. 
So how would you describe where you are today? How would you describe your life, your health? Good. Yeah, it's good. good. I am having, now my mental illness has not changed from 30 years ago to today. So I don't want people to think I've been healed. (laughs) (laughs) I've had people go, well, it's all good now, right? (laughs) Yesterday I woke up at 3 Mm a.m. You know what I mean? I have trouble sleeping. I have, I'm on medicine that has side effects that are unpleasant. My moods are up and down. What I would say is I have skills. I've done dialectical behavior therapy. I've got skills. I have my team. I've got my psychiatrist. I've got my internal medicine doctor. I've yes. got my therapist. I've got skill sets and that, and a good family support. So what I would say is today I have a life worth living. I've got a bright future. I'm working. I'm being a mental health advocate. You know, we're working on our third book. It's very exciting. So where I'm at today is a very good place. And, but I did want to reference something you said about grace. I think people, when they're moving forward, you need to go back to that girl or boy or man. And even if it was a week ago and you need to go give them a hug Mm. and show them some grace and say, you were doing the best you knew how, when you know better, you do better. So go out and learn how to do better. I go give that girl 15 years ago, a hug. And I say, you know what? You were doing the best you knew how, but now I know better. I do better. And so my life, you know, is it pain-free? No, no. I have emotional pain. I have anxiety. I, you know, still sometimes end up in the ER and having to, with an anxiety attack, Mm -hmm. I have episodes still that I have to see my psychiatrist. I had a four month episode that was very rough very difficult. And that was April to this, just this past April, you know, right after my Oprah event, um, I had a little episode and yeah, you know, it's difficult. And so that's where I would say I'm at. I'm managing my mental illness and creating a life worth living despite having mental health challenges and realize there are millions of people with illnesses out there who are living beautiful lives. We're not alone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Millions of people with illnesses that are living beautiful lives. We can do it. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting. Some of the studies that are showing is that some of these are actually not even illnesses, but some of them might even be more personality styles, right? And the world needs to be more inclusive of what we need and to be more accommodating uh, to the tools and resources and changing the way the system is because the world, it tries to act like one size fits all, but it, it really is not. And some of our systems are making us sick for sure. I love that you say that. (laughs) High five. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and would you like to share anything else with the audience before we wrap up for today? Just that, you know, there is hope that one mistake doesn't define the rest of your life, that mental health challenges are not a death sentence. They're not a prison sentence that some of the most impactful experiences in my life have been some of my mental health, um, challenges, and they've caused me great growth. Mm -hmm. and there has been positives that's come out of it. I like who I've become. 
and they have been part of shaping who I am. So it's not always the worst thing ever, the most horrible thing to happen to you. It actually might be the making of you. I love that. I love that so much. And I love you. Thank you so much for being on the show for having me. and sharing so openly and with such vulnerability and, and we'll use the word again, grace, because I think, yes. I think that was really great. And I think what you're doing is amazing and it's going to be very helpful for, for a lot of people. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of HealthWise 360 here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to tell your friends.